Today's teaching text comes from Exodus 33, 12 to 23. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways, that I may know you, so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us, so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. Then the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me and you shall stand there on the rock and it will come about while my glory is passing by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I just wanted to start by saying uh, thank you so much for uh, letting me be a pastor in this community for the last 10 years. Uh, thank you for letting me, yeah, grow and become a pastor. Um, but more than that, for letting me be a human being in your midst and uh, a friend and someone around your table and someone with you in the coffee shop and with you in the hospital and with you uh, at your weddings and, you know, um, just thank you for welcoming our, our family in and if you've been here one week or all 10 years, you know, we have made a million mistakes and a lot of those have been directly because of me uh, and yet we've had just a little bit more grace than we have had mistakes. Um, and so I'm just so honored for today, and um, the refrain that's been playing in my heart all week has been from Psalm 15, which, um, or I think it's 115, actually, um, not unto us, not unto us, but to your name be the glory. And what we're experiencing, you know, anything, you know, over time like this is so much more than the collection of human, human effort and human beings and human ability. And so I just want to say all the honor is to God. Um, yeah, praise him. Uh, amen. I've had the pleasure um, a few times now of being with people who are renewing their marriage vows to one another. And uh, it's, you know, been five or ten, uh, even, uh, even recently with the, the, uh, Tom and Tree who, did, who, uh, who covered at the end of the video there. I was with them when they were uh, restating their vows after 25 years. Um, and they're standing there with family and friends, and a lot of times it's a different group, you know, some you know, reconfiguration of the group that was, uh, you know, that was there at the very beginning. And uh, you know, some people aren't there, and, and new people are, and and, um, and it's the ceremony where you say the exact same words that you said all those years back, except different, <laughs> because something has happened to the words, uh, and something has happened to the people, um, because no matter how much they meant them in the beginning, uh, they had no idea what they were saying, <laughs> There's no substitute for the passage of time. Uh, our words are uh, containers for meaning. Uh, and as time passes and we collect experiences, we collect joys and, and heartbreaks, uh, we come to know real life. Uh, 
We come to be surprised by ourselves in good ways and bad ways. Uh, We come to be surprised by the other. Those containers of meaning are stretched. (laughs) They deepen and uh, they widen. And so we come to the same exact words and we find that they have new meaning, new weight, that those same words are worn in and scratched up and yet somehow they are more beautiful. I have a friend who just last week told me uh, about his wife's struggle with chronic illness throughout their marriage and how it redefined what his you know, mental picture of what their, their life together was going to be. He said when we were first getting married and we said to one another, in sickness and health, we found out we both really meant in health. But then he said that this last year of their marriage, even though her health is as uncertain as it's ever been, and they're not sure when she's going to improve, um, they don't know the future, that this has been the very best year of their marriage, that somehow uh, when you begin to express that sort of like, no matter what happens, I'm not leaving kind of love, I think a love that has been peeled off and shared with us right from the character of God, it's a covenant love, not a contract love. It's a, it's a I'll keep my promises no matter what you do kind of love. Um, that it, it widens and it deepens and it stretches our experience. Um, we pray in our house certain things for our, our children. Um, uh, and each of the things that we pray uh, for each of them is, is some of them are, are specific to their names, to when we were naming them, things we were hoping would be true about their lives. And, and in some ways, uh, the words have stayed exactly the same over the years, but the kids have grown, um, and, and they're growing more and more into their names. And, and I, I get the joy of seeing that they're growing a little bit more and more into these prayers. Um, and so we say the same words, but they have new meaning. Um, the words have aged <laughs> along with the kids. They've matured. Our tone of voice, our set of thoughts that carry them out from our mind, you know, out of our lips. There's an extra weight behind those. Um, I have a few friends um, that I've taken communion with at midnight as the year changes uh, for the last 16 years on New Year's Eve. We've gotten together as the groups change some, but. Uh, we, grow, we go around every year and we basically say the exact same words and yet life has passed between us. <laughs> and it takes those words and it drapes them with stories and there are, are rings and scuffed up shoes and passed down clothes and tears and awkward silences and fall on the floor laughter and family recipes and, and time and on and on. Ten years ago on our very first Sunday, we read Exodus 33. We probably messed up the version then too. We read Exodus 33 ten years ago. God, if your presence doesn't lead us up from here, then don't let us go. We said that with all the hope and enthusiasm. Like, there's certain things you don't do unless you're young and naive and, like, you have no idea what could happen. So you're like, yeah, let's try it. Yeah, of course. I'll move to New York. Like, it's like, I'll move to New York with no job and no prospects at all. And then you, like, meet a couple landlords. And they're like, no, it's really important that you have a job. (laughs) Like, we're so committed to you paying the rent in our building. That we're checking on your employment history and stuff like that. We're like, well, well we got a word, you see? We're here. And really. Okay. So we said those words with, with, with all the triumph and the, and the hope of, of youth and naivete and, and, and being at the beginning of something new. And we said, God, let your presence go with us. And if your presence doesn't shape and define us and give us, give us meaning and form and dwell in our midst, then we don't want to go forward at all. Like, you know, all the youthful enthusiasm, like, we're not going to even have another service, God, unless your presence is here. We had no plans of shutting down. <laughs> like, like, if God was like, I'm out, we would have been like, we're still going to do this. Please come back. Uh, <laughs> we were inexperienced and fumbling and saying, God, please help us. Please be with us. And so today, 
I hope you feel it. We come back to those same words. And, and this is true whether this is your second week here or you've been here all the Sundays of the 10 years. We come back to these words and they do have new weight. They have a renewed sense of hope. Now there's a whole host of memories, grief attached, stories of joy, accounts of God hearing our prayer, answering this, this very naive prayer that we prayed in the very beginning, answering it over and over and over again. The one thing, whether it's been Christians from, from somewhere else that have moved into the city or people who grew up here that um, had no religious framework whatsoever, one of the greatest gifts, I will say, of Trinity Grace, my entire experience here, is people walking into this space wherever we have been and trying to put words to the fact that they've experienced God's nearness here. And so like in the beginning, like I would meet these people who had no religious framework whatsoever and they would come in and they'd be like, I just like love the energy in this place and... I feel like when you guys were saying I'm crying and I don't have any idea why. And like that's not their voice, but then I, you know, I'm doing a thing. And then, you know, people who were coming back to church, like we, we have had a ministry to recovering Christians for a long time. And people who are coming back to church and, and they walk in and they experience the presence of God, right? God's everywhere. So we're not like, we don't have some sort of unique category on that. God's omnipresent, but there's a special gift when God makes his nearness known. And that's what we're talking about is the manifest, revealed presence of God where you just begin to experience that you are known and loved. You begin to experience that embrace. You begin to experience that sense of, of goodness, you know, that sense of electricity and rarefied love. And how do you even put words to it? You can't. But, and the greatest gift of our church over the last 10 years is that for some reason in the midst of all our fumbling and millions of mistakes and brokenness and failures, God has just chosen to stay here. And so there's no better place for us to revisit, like a renewal of vows or a group of friends coming back together after a you know, decade and saying the same words and swapping the same stories and, and there being extra weight and extra meaning. There's no better place for us to come back to than this prayer for God's presence. Whatever else our next 10 years will be, if it's anything, my prayer is that it will be shaped by God's presence. I, I went on Friday night I got to stop by, if you don't know this, there's a, been a Friday night prayer meeting that's been going uh, in our church office for years, and um, I rarely get to go because it's uh, like all the kids have gotten out of school, and it's like our first moment as a family on, on the weekend, and so I don't, I don't get to go very often, but, or at all, let's just say I don't get to go to this, but um, <laughs> it's such a pastor thing to say, I don't go very often, I've been one time. Um, but Friday night, I got to stop by the office because I wanted to give them a couple of gifts, and we got them a candle just to say, you guys have been keeping watch, and you've been, you know, sort of feeding the flame and the furnace of this church for years, and I got them a wooden spoon because they've been stirring up their faith and stirring up spiritual gifts in this place, and I just wanted to honor them and pray with them and, and just hope a little bit of their, their, um, their magic where it would rub off because I had to write this 10-year sermon, and... And as I was there, I was just thinking about how many unseen things have happened over the years. How many of you have given blood, sweat, and tears to make this church happen? And nobody's going to give you a framed letter and send you away, you know, for a, for a, for a night with your, your spouse. And yet, you deserve it, like, as much as anyone. Um, I saw Kristen Ball walk in and stand in the back, and I about burst into tears. Um, yeah, we should clap for Kristen. Um, Kristen was one of the first people I approached uh, like over 10 years ago and I was like, hey, I wanna start a church in Brooklyn. You live there and yet you go to church in Manhattan. What if there was a church in Brooklyn? It's like, this is the first one there ever was in Brooklyn. Um, and she's like, you know, like patted me on the head. It's like, okay, well, um, what do we need to do? And like then immediately just got to work for the next like eight years doing millions of things. Um, but I think about that, pr that Friday night prayer meeting. No one, no one knows they're there and they're just churning away, putting, putting coals in the furnace. And, and, and Kristen and Armstead and, and Elisa and, and, the, and the people who just like have been, you know, working themselves to the bone in the background where, where, where no one sees. And like, what's the point of all of that? 
It's this prayer. It's that his presence would be in our midst. It's that someone who hasn't yet might have the experience to know the, ver- the, the God of the universe knows their name, knows the number of hairs on their head, knows their story and all of its intricacies, knows the details of their DNA, knows everything about them, knows everything that's coming and says, I know you all the way to the bottom and I love you and there's nothing you could possibly do to change that and I wanna show you the, the covenant faithfulness that I have. I wanna pour out my love on you. I wanna bring you in and make you family forever. And the way he changes us is by his presence. And so I was there on Friday night and we were praying and I was like, I couldn't, I got out post-it notes out of my desk and I'm like writing things down as the spirit is speaking to me. And I just got this faith to say, we, we prayed Friday night that you know, I celebrate that God's presence has been in our midst for, for this 10 years. And we can't rush past that. But we began to pray, it sort of bubbled up that we began to pray, God, would you pour out whatever we've experienced in this 10 years, will you pour out a double portion of your presence in the next 10? Will you, because we're probably not getting better. We need as much or more help as we ever have. Will you pour out your presence, double what we've ever experienced in the last 10 years? That's my prayer for our church. If God would answer one prayer for us, let it be that we're asking for God. So Friday night we started praying that. I wanna ask you to pray that. That's the, one of the prayers I put in the golden bowl and took my coin and we're, we're gonna... We're gonna do that together. We're gonna see, God, God, what would you stir up in our faith? And we would put these prayers together and lay them in these golden bowls as a symbol of, of how our prayers are collected in heaven and then take these coins and say, every time I touch this coin or see this thing, wherever, wherever it is, I'm gonna pray that prayer. And I want at least one of your prayers to be that God's presence would be in our midst. But in our first service, we prayed this prayer with so much hope and so much enthusiasm, and I think we had no idea what we were really saying or what we were even asking for. So I went back and I examined this passage again, and I saw a bunch of layers of the story in a new light, probably like, you know, 10 years of maturity helps, 10 years of reading the scriptures helps, 10 years of knowing you don't know anything helps. And I realized that this prayer is not in a prophetic worship service. There's no smoke machines and leather jackets and hype music and like, God, you're gonna do it. Like, we're so sure. Like, it's, it's, there's no hype. Uh, the, 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 it's not a time of blessing for something new even. It's not at a first worship service. It's not even really a moment full of hope. It is a moment of absolute desperation. It's a moment of intercession to save a group of people's lives. It is asking God for mercy. It is asking God not to turn away. Actually, when God has every reason to turn away. The the light of this prayer comes in the darkness of one of God's people's worst moments. If you read Exodus 33, one of the things at least you'll notice, and this is a mathematical fact, is that it comes after Exodus 32, And in Exodus 32, we have the moment of the golden calf. You remember that moment? Like even if you just remember from like the Charlton Heston movie and you're not like super familiar with with the Hebrew scriptures, like Yahweh had led Israel out of slavery in Egypt. He had set them free from the most powerful empire in the world. Their entire identity for 400 years had been beaten down to, to, to dust in slavery. Like that's all they knew. Their their very identity was an identity of slavery and they had been led out in freedom. They had crossed the Red Sea. They They needed food and God had provided food for them. They needed water and God had provided water for them. They needed victory in the middle of this wilderness, undefended on all sides and God had provided victory for them. Now Moses has gone up to get the constitution of their freedom. Essentially, like, they need some words to reform their culture and identity. After 400 years of slavery and freedom, they need a constitution of freedom, God's words to reshape them to live as God's people in the world so that a promise made all the way back to this pilgrim Abraham centuries before can be true. That I will bless you and and bless the whole world through you and I will work my redemption project through your ancestors. And now Moses has gone up onto the mountain 
to get the words of God. And while he's gone, right, no GPS, you know, no, like, carabiners, that's what they're called, no carabiners and ropes, no, like, no way to know, like, has this guy fallen and he can't get up, like, he's been gone a long time, is he really coming back with the words of God, like, there's, this guy's already old, he worked in Midian as a, you know, you know, he worked in Midian as a shepherd for 40 years before he even came around Egypt again. This guy might not make it back. I mean, you can just sit around, you're sitting around breakfast talking about Moses and coming back. I'm sorry, he's been a great leader, but we gotta be realistic. Change is coming, and we gotta move into the future. What are we gonna do, right? You can imagine just like the conversations, like, because in the scriptures, like a, a sentence goes by in, a, in the space of a sentence, but it sometimes covers a massive amount of time. And it's easy for us to skip from verse 31 to verse 32, but if you're living in those weeks where there's been no sign, some of you know that place. We've talked about that place for 10 years. Some of you know that place between verse 31 and verse 32 where there's a bunch of space of delay, a bunch of space of like, will God really provide? Is God really going to show up? Can I really count on him? Yes, all that stuff has happened before, but maybe the fountain has just been shut off. Maybe this time I've gone too far and I'm, I'm never going to really be able to change. Maybe whatever it is, right? And the maybes begin to play in our minds. And this is what it says happens to them. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. He, he is not showing up. What is going on with Moses anyway? And I want you to see how human this is. Like, Every day you get up and you go to work and you swipe your Metro card and you get on the train and you go through the tunnel and you come up and you go to work and you, and you face all that you face and, and you see all the messages on the billboards all the way there and then you come back and then you get a little break and then you rest and you watch a show and, and, and you get a call from someone who's disappointed and you check Instagram and you see the filtered lives of other people and you get about a bajillion messages that, that essentially say to you, you gotta make your own way and and the rampant individualism of our world is the only way to go. And you've got to chart your own course. And you're the captain of your own soul. And you better get what you want. And you need to spend some money to get it. And the messages are just pouring in on you. And all, all of a sudden you're like, hey, is Moses coming back anyway? Is God's promise really true? Can I actually count on him? Can I live as if his promises are true if I'm not feeling it at all? They had arrived at this place, basically, of, of freedom. Like, we're, at least we're free now. They had, ex, they had experienced the success of, over some enemies. They had been provided for. And they began to look for a softer, easier way. They want to make a God that is a product of their own imagination a product of their own hands, a product of their surrounding culture. And as soon as you want to look down on Israel in this moment, just look around. Whatever is our God, right, commands our affections, gets the devotion of our time and energy, has essentially our, our worship. It's the thing that can ask something of us and we won't say no. Like, we're getting near God-like things in that category. And how many of our small g gods are just gods of our imagination or gods of our own hands or gods we've inherited from our surrounding culture? They're just like, let's just do what other people do and get a little God for ourselves. And they make a God, and you know what? When you make a God, that God will never confront you. That's what's so wonderful about them. They will just like let you do your thing and make some suggestions, but they're never really gonna confront you. And, and when you make your own God, you can control that God's timing I mean, maybe they're not going to come through in any dramatic ways for you, but they're also not going to make too many demands, which is nice. You know, things get stressful. There's a God who will always approve of your, uh, 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 and applaud your impulses. It says after they made this, this golden calf, they took off their earrings, they took off their jewelry, they put them in the fire. And, and it says Aaron 
handcrafted this golden calf for them. When, it's so funny. One of the funniest moments in the Bible, Old Testament for me, is when Moses comes and confronts Aaron. He's like, I don't know. We threw the earrings in and the calf just came out of the fire. That happened. Crazy. Must be magic. Must be God. I don't know. Um, and it's, he made it, right? And he's so... It says, after they made this golden calf, they sat down to eat and drink and rose up to engage in revelry. Doesn't that sound fantastic? They sat down to eat and drink and, engage, and rose up to engage in revelry. The enemy will tell you, and, and, and sometimes our flesh will tell us and, and the surrounding culture will tell us that God's a killjoy and wants to stop our best impulses. Actually, God is the one who over and over again prescribes people to sit down and feast and to stand up and engage in revelry. The thing is, he just won't attend or sanction a ceremony of death no matter how well it's catered or how well it's decorated. He just won't sanction and celebrate you choosing some smaller golden calf, a God of your imagination, a God of, of your own projections, no matter, no matter how, how much it makes you feel good in, in, in a particular moment because ultimately he is the source of life. For me, that was so important because I sort of read this, this prayer 10 years ago, just like, frantically scrolling, quite honestly, for like, God, I need, I need a really good zinger for sermon one. Can you give me like a prayer we could pray? And like, I wasn't reading through Exodus at the time, so I'm like, yes, presence, that's what we need. Take it, and like, I just read that little part, you know what I mean? Like, just, and so now, like, of course I've read, read the narrative, but like seeing it in the context, this is in a moment of in, intense conflict. <laughs> this is in a moment of, of profound challenge. This is in a moment of turmoil where the result of what's going to happen is not known yet. And I want you to think about that as we pray. If your presence doesn't go with us, do not lead us up from here. And think about the moment that you're in and that we're in as a culture, that we're in as a world, that you're in as a person, that you might be in as a family. We live in a time of unprecedented distractions. It's no small thing that we're the first generation to walk around with the whole worldwide web in our pockets. It's no small thing that we are living on our phones and calling it life. It's no small thing that we have these screens bombarding us. It's no small thing that our culture of comparing our lives to one another is at an absolute all-time high, even though we all know it's the snapshots of someone else's is highlight reel. We know all that. Like, we've, we get it. Like, we've only been at it a little bit, and already we know there's some emptiness, that comparison is the thief of joy, and let us, like, scroll, scroll. Scroll, there's something, right? Like, how do you handle it? Like, you know, there was a, there was a bombing and they're on vacation at the beach and, and this political candidate said this insane thing and, and these immigrants were separated at the border and there was another shooting and oh my gosh, it's my uncle's birthday and what is that outfit? Like, <laughs> that does something to us. We live in a time of unprecedented distraction. How on earth can we pray that his presence would be the central defining reality of our life? We live in a time of uncertain conflict. Our world feels as divided, right? Of course, we're not new and generationally to this, but like we're killing each other with our words and we're killing each other. I think we have so many uprooted accounts of life right now. Like we just get these weird fragments of what a good life is but they're totally severed from any root system that would actually be able to sustain that. Like so many of the people giving us messages are giving them to us to sell us things. And, that, and that's not bad. Like we, we have to have a, a, a functioning economy, of course, and I'm not bad-mouthing that. But like are the people that you're listening to about what makes a good life wise enough to really sustain a good life? Are, are they offering you something that's connected to a root system? Like Psalm 1 says, the person who's like delighting in God, God's word, that person becomes like a tree that's roots go down deep and they're beside a stream like water source always there. And the water comes up and strengthens the branches and increases the life and, and, and it says that they bear fruit in and out of season, that their leaf doesn't wither, that whatever they do prospers. Like, it's this picture of a life. It's like, hey, I'm not just giving you a headline of, like, what a zinger of a good life. It's like, here's an ecosystem. 
sustained by the presence of God and God's words that actually makes a life. And here's what a picture of it is. And if you don't believe me, give it a try. So the, the moment happens, like God com- like Moses comes down, God knows about what's going on, he, come, he comes into this moment, he's like, I can't go with these people anymore, they want this false God, they want this God of their imagination, this God they made, you go on, I can't go with you, you can't really be around my revealed presence, we can't co-mingle, because if I let you see who I really am, it's going to break you apart. If I reveal the fullness of who I am, our natures are sort of incompatible right now. I can't, I can't, I can't go with you. So I'm going to send angels with you. I've made a promise. I'm still going to give you the land. I'm going to defeat your enemies. I'm going to send you into the place of promise, but I'm not going with you. And Moses says, no way. And he's smart too, because if you read the accounts of when they actually get to the promised land, it's not like everything clears up. It's a bunch of fighting. So Moses is saying, the thing is not the land, the thing is you, the thing is your presence. If you don't go with us, then we don't want to go. Don't send us with some angel. Don't give us, just give us victory. Don't just give me the job and the family and the things that I think that I want. Like I've, I've met so many people that said, if, I, if God gave me the things that I was praying for 10 years ago, it would have been a disaster. You want to know a prayer that you can pray radically safely? God, give me you. And whatever else comes, then you'll have God. Moses knew God's presence was everything. The first group that rallies back to him after everyone was like, yeah, I don't know, the, the thing just came out of the fire, we threw the earrings in, and now we're partying, and I don't know what happened. And the first group to be like, oh, what have we done? Is the Levites, and they come back to Moses? The Levites were the one group that didn't get any inheritance in the promised land. They got no land. God was like, land for you, land for you, all 11. The Levites, he's like, you get no land. My presence is your inheritance. And they're the first ones to come back and say, we were wrong, let's start over. The first one to say, let's pray that prayer again. And let's really mean it with all the memories we have and with the new weight and the new stories. Their inheritance was the presence of God. Trinity Grace Church, what I wanna pray for us is that our inheritance would be the presence of God. Can't afford any land anyway. Let me tell you what, what comes with it, and we're over time, which is just exactly as it should be if you've been here for 10 years. <laughs> the first is rest. The Lord, repro- re- the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And I just want you to hear the shalom wash over you when you hear that. You can cease striving and fall into the arms of one who loves you. And sometimes that person is going to be a human being demonstrating what God's like. Sometimes it's going to be a friend in this church. Sometimes it's going to be someone right here on this very rug. You know how many times I've seen an embrace on this exact ugly rug of the grace of God. My presence will go with you and give you rest. And sometimes you'll taste that through one another. When God's presence is with us, it means that the, the main thing is taken care of and we can actually... Cease striving in a city that makes its living on striving. What if you bookended your day in the presence of God? How might you become a different type of person in Brooklyn, a different type of person in New York City? The second thing is pleasure. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? So Moses is evoking this, this is like basically like no one's going to believe that you like us unless you're with us. And then the same thing actually gets flipped on, on the psalmist and the people who come to know God and the prophets throughout all of the accounts of the scriptures. They keep saying things like in your presence is fullness of joy. In your presence is a fountain of delight. In your pre- presence I know your pleasures forever. Like This sort of commingling of whatever is true about God and the Trinity and as he shares that with us when we experience it connects to the deepest pleasure centers of our life. It connects to the deepest longings of who we are. God's presence is what you were made for. 
African Bishop Augustine was saying that years, centuries ago, like our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. That God is actually, and you can test this out, our very pleasure. And I wanna say this. A friend asked me on a bench last night, what's the biggest change you've experienced in this 10 years of leading this church? And then we had a long, like 45 minute conversation, so I won't tell you everything. But basically the headline is, When I was first starting, another wiser pastor who was a hero of mine said to me, your church doesn't need your gifts and talents as much as it needs your character. And I thought, that sounds amazing. I'm gonna use that in a sermon. But I really thought, what our church needs is is my gifts and talents (laughs) and Zach's gifts and talents. This guy might be a recording artist one day. Look, he sweats when he sings. Like, if I can preach a little bit and he can sing, people will come. Surely they'll come, right? We can put on a service. <laughs> it'll be, it'll, like, how stupid is that? Am I, am I like shallow, youthful naivete? I was like, we're gonna do the arts. <laughs> like New York, <laughs> like BAM and the Lincoln Center. Like there's some shows around that people can see if they're looking for a show. And over the years, God has taught me the truthfulness of that statement that actually what I'm called to is a formation of my character to be like Jesus. And the gifts and talents thing is literally just like whipped cream on top of the cake. And you guys, if you, I mean, I just can't tell you, the, the formation of the character has gone through so many fires It's been so much like confronting my own brokenness, confronting my own entitlement and indulgence and and how much my own heart was woven into the American story and the American dream and how much I am a consumer and how much my whole, like all the things. I'm not gonna get into telling you all my sins. Many of them are so obvious you can see them, but uh, one thing that I've just begun to taste and that I want to taste for the next 10 years and the rest of my life is that there are certain disciplines that can become supreme pleasures. When you first get up early in the morning to seek God, you know what you might be? Tired, irritable, in need of sugar, distracted. And if you try to end your day confessing your heart and reading a psalm, right, bookending your day in the presence of God, you might want to choose the Yankees game or Netflix or whatever, but I tell you, if you just keep doing it no matter what, if you just keep doing it no matter what, the discipline itself will become something that you realize you need, and then the discipline itself will become something you realize that you love, and a discipline can become a supreme pleasure to you, and all of a sudden, it's not a discipline anymore, it's your very life, and all of a sudden, you're like, if your presence doesn't go with me, I don't want to go up from here. I don't want to get out of bed. If your presence doesn't go with me, if your presence doesn't help me parent this teenager, I'm going to say terrible things to them. If your presence doesn't lead me out into work, I'm going to be a distracted mess. If your presence doesn't, doesn't like, if your presence doesn't go with me, I can't live this day. It is, it is a discipline. It is a discipline. And I got to tell you, you have to learn it, church. There's no way around it. This is not, this is not works-based salvation. <laughs> this is not like do this so God will love you. This is do this because God loves you and because God will show up. Because we have a relational world and you can't cut against the grain of that reality. And if you will draw near to this relational God in the morning and in the evening and sometimes in the middle, you will find life and life to the full. His presence is our rest, his presence is our pleasure, and his presence is a marker. It is what distinguishes us. He says, what else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Much has been made, rightly so, of God introducing himself to Moses and Moses saying, what's your name anyway? Who should I tell them sent me? And what does he answer back? I am. You notice when uh, the people were grumbling before they made the the golden calf, you can just feel the what ifs coming through in their questions, right? Life, 
is so full of so many what ifs that you have no idea the answer to. They had no idea. Is What if Moses doesn't come back down this mountain? What if there aren't any words that he's gone up there to get? What if this whole thing was a shamble and now this old hiker dude is dead up on the mountain? What, what if I never meet anyone? What if I never have a child? What if I never achieve this thing that I moved to the city for? What if I never feel like I'm really folded into this community? What if I never feel like I can break through from this, this ticker tape of thoughts that plays in my mind? What if I'm never a non-anxious person? What if I can't break free from this depression? What if I never have enough to pay the rent? What if I always feel this loneliness? What if, what if this, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And over those what ifs, God says, I am. I am is presence personified. It's the only thing that can really stop the what if, is I am. And this is my prayer for our church. Let your presence give us rest. Let your presence give us joy. And let your presence define us. We're going to pray the same prayer we've been praying for 10 years. We're just going to pray it with these, these words now. With just a little more specificity. Over the next three weeks starting today, <laughs> presence. I want to share three words that I think are going to define our next 10 years. The presence of God, formation in the way of Jesus, and life in the Holy Spirit, and outpouring of love and action, mission and justice. Presence, formation, and love. <laughs> Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and it's all mingled in like Trinity grace. <laughs> this is what we're going to be about. The presence of God being formed into the way of Jesus and pouring out in love. If you want to be with us, there's space for you. If you're brand new, we need you. We need to see what God is like through your life. If you've been here and you've moved on from somewhere else, I want you to take a coin and pray with us on a daily basis that we would press into this. I want you to come back and visit us and see how we're doing. I want there to be anchor points all around the country and all around the world who come back and say, hey, Trinity Grace, don't forget who you are. Presence, formation, and love. Don't forget that at the center of your church is a prayer. If your presence doesn't go with us, we don't, do not lead us up from here. Trinity Grace, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit of being up from us somehow, pouring out his love to us in the gospel. Becoming Trinity Grace. Presence, formation, love. Here's a little secret that's not so great. God's presence can be dangerous. We're, we're a little bit removed from this, but God's like, if I go with you, some of you will be destroyed. What? <laughs> There's a holiness about God's very nature that, like, he wants to mingle completely with us in union, but he is like, okay, one of us has to change for that to work. It's not going to be me. It needs to be you. I can help you change. As a matter of fact, he comes to us in the person of Jesus and he becomes us to live the life we couldn't live and then to die on the cross. Why? To solve the riddle of the holiness thing that we can't be in his revealed presence without dying unless we are draped and covered in something that's holy. And you know what that is? Jesus. That's the gospel made possible for us to be fully embraced by the Trinity, welcomed in like a family member to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as sons and daughters in a kingdom that never ends. How do we do it? We're covered with Jesus. This is the New Testament letters. Get at this. I'm, this is where we're going to end. Even to this day, this is 2 Corinthians. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their heart. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory and don't die are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. How is this possible? Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart whether we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We're trying to get rid of our, 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 our deformed desires, our brokenness. 
Because we've been cloaked in holiness, we do not use deception or do we not distort the word of God on, on, on the contrary. By setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For we well, what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. How do we get access to the presence of God? Our friend and brother and savior Jesus walks us right in, right past any barrier. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We're going to come to the communion table like we do every week and have for years together. And hiding in Jesus, we can ask for all of God's presence. Jesus is the cleft of the rock that we are hidden in so that we can, we can experience God's glory. So here's what I want to do. I'm gonna give you a moment to reflect in just a moment. And we have these prayer cards and I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit to lead you and you to you know, write out prophetic prayers and hope-filled prayers and, and, and scriptures and let's ask for the presence of God and let's ask for whatever is on your heart. And then we're gonna fill these golden bowls with your prayers. <laughs> We're gonna ask an artist in our community to uh, take these prayers and commemorate them into a piece that we can look at for years to come. But we're gonna have these, these prayers and these golden bowls. And then I wanna ask you to take these coins. <laughs> My friend who was sitting on the bench with me last night was in the military and he was telling me about the challenge coins that they give in the military basically to commemorate a victory or to commemorate a moment of, of meeting someone that has like, I, I met the commander of all the allied forces and he gave me this coin and I, and I remember this moment and I commemorate it. It's also a way to challenge to say, are we part of this thing together? Yes, we are, we're part of this thing together. My mom is here. She shared last night at a, at a dinner and I was so nervous that she was gonna tell a bunch of stuff. Ah, she kept it cool. And she mentioned my father who passed um, just before we moved to New York, and he had a 30-day chip from AA in his pocket when he died. That's another reason people give out chips, to commemorate that you're getting better, commemorate that you have dependence on a higher power, commemorate that healing is possible, to commemorate that, like, Life can be full even without this addiction that I've come to depend on. And so whether you see this as, as a challenge coin to say we're part of this thing together, we're praying these things together, we're asking for victory, or you're like, I don't know if I got all that sort of triumph in me, but I'm like, hey, one day at a time I can hang on to this and pray. One day at a time I can get up and seek God's presence. One day at a time I can end my day saying God examine me and here's my heart again. If you take one of these coins, you're welcome to. We're going to run out and we're going to get more. But if you take one of these coins, I want to ask you to hold on to it, to put it in a place where you'll feel it from time to time and see it from time to time and pray the prayer that you put in this golden bowl. And let at least some of them be, God, let your presence define us and give us pleasure and be our rest. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray for you that God would direct this moment of reflection as you write these prayers. And then I'm going to give you some silence for you to write them out. People will be passing through the aisles. If you put your hand up, we'll pass you a pen if you don't have one. Write these prayers in silence for just a moment or two, and then I'm gonna come invite us to the table. We're gonna feast on the grace of God. We're gonna put our prayers in the bowl. We're gonna take the coins, and we're gonna worship our guts out to celebrate this 10 years. I love you so much. Thank you, Trinity Grace. So Heavenly Father, would you direct these next moments? I pray that you would invite us and lead us to pray prayers that seem impossible. That you would stir up a prophetic spirit in this room right now. That you would give us pictures, that you would give us words. That you would remind us of dreams. 
that you would give us hopes that, that we can't accomplish on our own ability. That you would help us to imagine outpourings of love that would change our neighborhood, that would change our families, that would change our friendships. Would you show us in these prayers what it would look like for your kingdom to come in Brooklyn as it is in heaven? Lead us now, God. You have led us and we thank you. You have given us your presence and we thank you. God, pour out a double portion of your presence on this people. Revive this people. Let us live in an awakening period in this country. Heal us. Pour out your spirit. You've been stirring it up, God. How much longer? Pour out your spirit. Bring an awakening of your glory. Not unto us, God, not, not for our sake, but so people could taste and see how good you are, how shockingly loving you are and merciful and forgiving and true and good. Lead your people to pray in these moments. You told us your spirit would help us pray when we didn't have words, so put words in our heart right now. Through our pens, let us, let us join you in constructing a future. Let us build it in prayer, rooted on your presence. In Jesus' name. Amen. Churches, the band's going to play under this, and I just want to invite you, write out your prayers. Pray your heart out onto those cards, and then bring them forward. Take a picture of it if you need to remember what you've prayed, and then take these coins. But right now, all you have to think about is what you want to write on this card in prayer, and then I'll come and direct us to the table in just a few minutes. Let's pray, church.